Burnout is physical, emotional, mental and spiritual exhaustion and breakdown, usually caused by living at too fast a pace for too long, doing too much. The word burnout is actually interesting because literally that is what is happening at a cellular level in the body that is burning going on. A lot of the recent research has shown that people with depression, anxiety, um, their cells are actually inflamed. And it all results from, you know, if you face a bear, uh, you go into fight or flight mode. It's a human, a good human stress response to a dangerous stimulant. Um, and so you fight or you fly, and then it's all over, hopefully, in a few minutes. But what's happening in our lives with stress and burnout is we're in constant fight or flight mode. We're living as if we're in that heightened state all the time. And what happens is the body's producing chemicals and reactions, thinking there's just going to be this terrible event, and that sh should only last for a few minutes, but we are stuck at on. And so this constant um, inflammation, uh, chemical imbalance that's happening in our body is affecting our bodies, affecting our emotions, affecting our thinking, and ultimately affecting our spiritual lives too. And it's been shown, the recent research has shown that, that stress, depression, anxiety, burnout is actually causing um, osteoporosis, bone disease, uh, cardiovascular disease, strokes, diabetes. It's having a, a devastating effect on our bodies, but very slowly so that we hardly notice it. That's what's so dangerous about burnout. That's uh, Dr. David Murray. Some of you might recognize him or that cool accent uh, as he preached here a few years ago. And uh, he is providing an introduction for us in our subject today, uh, which is the proper uh, care of the wonderful gift that God gave us, a human body. And we're gonna get into that in a moment. Before I do though, I, I want to uh, read a story, you know, last Sunday we were talking about the habit of grace of generosity and, and giving. And uh, if you were here, if you weren't here you missed it because uh, those that were here all got a $20 bill from the church. We handed out $20 bills and we said, go bless people with this. And uh, we created a website, BethelGives.com, and we asked uh, you to write some of the things that you're that you're doing with the $20. And so you can go to that, by the way, there's a number of really great stories. I'm gonna read just one of them here, and it's the story of the purple cane, which we have a picture of, I think, if you could put that up there. Maybe we don't, I trust we do, there we go, the purple cane. So here's the story. Uh, this person from our church writes, each Wednesday I volunteer at the Northwest Indiana Food Bank with a neighbor. This week, we delivered meals to a senior apartment complex. While we were in the building delivering the boxes of meals, we noticed a sign in the elevator that read, Lost Purple Cane, Please Return to Apartment 351. Thievery going on there at the 
We had just delivered food to this apartment. We both looked at each other and said, we're going to Walgreens and get her a new cane. I shared the message from Sunday with my neighbor and we headed to the store. We walked into Walgreens and they had one purple cane. We purchased the cane and went back to the apartment complex. We went to her door and knocked. She answered while on the phone with her daughter and we let her know that we had seen her sign in the elevator and wanted to help her. I could hear her daughter on the phone saying, what a blessing. She was so appreciative of her new cane. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for reminding us always to be look up for opportunities God is giving us to show love. So there's a well-invested $20 in buying a new cane and I wonder what you're doing with what we gave you. So be thinking about it, and let's get creative, and let's bless as many people as we possibly can. Got it? All right. Well, we are in the home stretch of our series on the habits of grace. I will tell you, December is nearly here, hard to believe. And guess what we're gonna focus on in the month of December? The incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's right. And here's the graphic, and... uh, We're going to be talking about searching for Christ at Christmas, and I think it's, I already know about the series, I think it's going to be a really good one. We're looking forward to doing that. Hope you'll join us. Today I want to talk with uh, our church family about the need that we have to steward and to care for our physical bodies, and to do this as much as an act of worship to God as uh, Bible reading and praying and any other spiritual activity that you, might, uh, that you might wanna bring up. And the reason that we are to do this is that Christianity believes in the whole person, okay? Death is the separation of what God intended to be together, who we are, mind, soul, spirit, body. We, we believe in a wholeness of the human person and that includes our physical bodies. And so therefore, Christianity uh, has always had a kind of earthiness to it. There's sort of a dirt and grittiness about uh, Christian doctrine and uh, biblical teaching about it that esteems fingernails and bodily functions and sex and food and sleeping and medicine and all the pleasurable and all the odd and frankly, all the disgusting things that go along with being human. And if you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, change a diaper, okay? (laughs) Infant or senior citizen, both will make the point that I'm making, okay? There is a lot that we look at and say, this is disgusting about being human. And the Bible doesn't blush about any of it for reasons I'll get into. Now, I just wanna make sure that I've got everybody's attention because uh, uh, does everybody here have a body, first of all? Let's just start with that. Anybody here having an out-of-body experience, possibly? Do we have any avatars present with us by chance? Okay, hearing none, I'm gonna assume everybody here is very familiar with having a human body. And therefore, we can all relate, and this is incredibly relevant, to what it means to be a human being. And how do we connect that with our Christian faith? That's the goal of the message Today, Now, my take on uh, American Christianity is that there are many people, maybe you, and, and maybe you sort of innocently because you've never thought about it, and that's fine, I'm here today to help you think about it, but there are, there are many Christians who disconnect their faith in Jesus and what they see in the mirror. 
Like these are two separate things somehow. And I wanna remedy that here this weekend at our church and to bring these two together and for us to be a church family that is practicing healthy habits of body grace, if you will. And so uh, if you are reconsidering your morning donut today, you're tracking with me already, okay? Now, in terms of being human and what the Bible says about being human, having a body is very nearly the first thing that is said about us. Here is Genesis 2, the, the, the story of God creating Adam. Verse seven, then the Lord formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Before we had a soul, we had a body. He formed us out of the dust of the ground. You might think that God would have called him dusty, but he went with Adam uh, anyway. So the body, I, I won't use that second service. I didn't think it was that great. Okay. So the body, here's just Genesis one through three, the things we learn about the body. That in this body we bear the image of God. That we are sexual beings. That God delighted in our bodies, said very good. That we are made from the dust of the ground. That this body contains a God-given soul. And that this body also is cursed to die because of sin. And all of these things in just the first three chapters of the Bible, all of them incredibly important, none more than this statement, Genesis 1.31, God says, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And you know what's part of that assessment of very good in this brilliant creation? The human body and having a human body. God aesthetically, morally, um, probably some other adverbs I could throw in there if I had time to think about it, but you're all looking at me right now and I blank on it. <laughs> all of that, God says, is not just good. It is very good. It is exceedingly good. God likes our bodies. God likes your body. God likes everything about our body. Again, even the things that we might deem somewhat disgusting. In his assessment, all of it is very good. And if you know the story in Genesis, Adam and Eve, there they are. Their bodies are, are perfect. They are, they are not going to die. They, they are experiencing you know, the vibrancy of human existence in a body that has no curse, no decay, but then they sin. And so in Genesis 3, now mankind is cursed and that includes our bodies. In fact, one of the key things about the curse is what happens to our bodies. We now will decay and we will, we will die. And so ever since then, mirrors are not our friends. And we could look in the mirror and we could look at things that we somehow deem you know, undesirable about our bodies and we could come to the conclusion that this whole thing is, is no good. Okay? That's uh, the ancient heresy of Gnosticism, if you're familiar with Gnosticism, that you know, the, the spirit is good, the soul is good, the body's bad. And uh, Paul writes extensively in his letters against a Gnostic approach, but I think there's a lot of Christians that kind of are Gnostics 
about their bodies. Not Gnostics about the, you know, the gospel, but Gnostics about their body and sort of view ourselves like, well, someday it'll be good, but now it stinks. No, not at all. In fact, we know that primarily by the number one most important, above all truth, about the human body. You ready for it? Jesus had a body. Jesus had a human body and has a human body, I might add, and always will have a human body. But this is part of what makes the incarnation, here we are gonna celebrate this in December, this is part of what makes the incarnation such a, a marvel is uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh. The word became physical, human. The son of God took on the limitations and the realities of having a human body like you and me. And we look at the story, if we were thinking accurately, we think, how could, how could the Son of God, the pure, holy, holy, holy Son of God, take on something so disgusting as a human body? He is far too glorious to need sleep. He is far too uh, powerful to, to need to eat or to feel pain or to digest food. I, I, re I remember talking with somebody once who speculated that Jesus, you know, he, he probably didn't digest food like we do because that would be beneath the Son of God. I mean, it's so, let's be honest, disgusting how that all works. And, uh, but that's because they have an, a misunderstanding of the incarnation. All the things about being human and having a body that you and I experience, Jesus experienced. Why, can that, why could that happen? Here's why. Because even after the curse, there is an inherent goodness and dignity and value that the human body retains so that the Son of God becoming human does not, by virtue of becoming, having a human body, does not diminish his glory. It does not, it's not somehow profane for him. In other words, when God said it is very good, the human body, even after the curse, continues to retain God's assessment of the body. So that the miracle of the incarnation uh, is not so much that God became flesh as how he became flesh. Now that still is a miracle, okay? And a marvel and a mystery. And we'll celebrate that for the next month in our church. So to summarize then, Jesus' incarnation reinforces the inherent goodness of the human body. I am not in a human body by some cosmic accident. This is not a, an unfortunate circumstance in life. God designed our bodies. He delights in our bodies. He has a purpose for our bodies. Jesus came to redeem us, including our bodies. All of these things, including, by the way, the incredible features of a human body. And I, I could take a bunch of time, I don't have time, to just start listing all the amazing things that our ears and our eyes and our brains and all the things that our bodies do that when you really look at it, you're like, it's astonishing. I mean, the human body is truly a marvel. And God delights in all of it. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Is that what you think when you look in the mirror? Look at this fearfully and wonderfully made body that I have. 
So the marvel of my human body is an incredible gift from God to us. And that's a pretty good starting point here, is to value our bodies and see our bodies the way that God sees our bodies and to think like God does about it. So let's get into what this actually means. What is a Christian body? Again, my aim here is we're talking about habits of grace. We've talked about prayer and we've talked about meditation and we've talked about a whole bunch of other things. And I'm, I'm wanting us to connect stewardship to the way that I care for this incredible gift that God has given to me and to do it as an act of worship. That's my point today, okay? So, with that said, what is the Christian body? Here's my definition. The Christian body is a God-created, sin-cursed, Christ-redeemed, notice I'm saying this about the Christian body, okay? Christ-redeemed, organic space in which we live as stewards with care, purity, and lifestyles of worship until we die. Now, I could continue that definition because we know for a Christian after we die that this body is going to be resurrected and it's going to be resurrected in a glorified version of the body that I have, okay? And that I am going to live in a body forever. I, it's not even my notes, but I need to make that point because it comes to me. You're not floating around on a harp in a cloud forever and going, this is boring. I was kind of hoping heaven would be awesome. You are going to have a perfect version of the present body that you have, and you are going to live in the perfect version of the world that we live in, and you are going to do that forever and ever, and it's gonna be awesome, okay? And that's one reason Jesus walked out of that tomb bodily was because he has a plan bodily for this body that I have forever and ever. We are, we are embodied forever and ever, and I'm glad about that. I'm glad about that. One author calls uh, the body our place of personal presence. Not bad. Here's what Paul says about our bodies, Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice he doesn't say present your thoughts, you know, present your prayers, uh, present. No, our bodies. Present, this body represents all that I am as an act of worship to God. Here's 1 Corinthians 6, really important passage. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Can I say that again? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And what was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. You, all that you are, including your body, was bought with a price. And so therefore, what's the conclusion? Glorify God in your body. Get that? The Romans passage, again, saying that our bodies are a part of what we offer to God as an act of worship. The 1 Corinthians 6 passage, uh, the context there is there were Christians. Let me, let me backtrack. So, Corinth, Corinth like the Las Vegas of its day. Wild, crazy, especially in the sex category. They would actually go to the temple there to Aphrodite in Corinth and there were prostitutes, male and female, and it was viewed as a very acceptable thing as a part of your worship of the God of Aphrodite to join with one of these prostitutes. Well, you got these Corinthians who become Christians and they're kind of confused and some of them are still going up to the temple and participating in the immorality. And Paul writes now 1 Corinthians and says, do you realize what you're doing? Like, 
Your body contains the Holy Spirit, is a temple of God. Don't take the temple of God to the temple of Aphrodite and don't connect sexually with prostitutes when your body is the space and the place of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. Do you realize how important your body is? Don't take it to the temple of Aphrodite. That's his argument. So to ask the question then, here now I'm pivoting a little bit, is if your body, friend, if you look in the mirror and you, what you see there, you're like, this is not my body. Now it's my body, but it's been bought with a price. This is the Lord's body. And the implications for me now stewarding something owned by somebody else, especially Jesus, uh, and how I act morally and ethically and how I care for the body that Jesus died for and is gonna uh, raise from the dead someday has profound implications for the way that we live our life. Indeed, the habits and the rhythms of our life with respect to this body. And so what are those? Okay, if you're tracking with me, I'm building a foundation and I wanna build on that. What then would be right habits with the body, and I wanna start with the way that we think about our bodies, okay? The way that we think about our bodies. And here is the key first one, is to believe about my body what God says he thinks about my body. Because God looks at your body, and he, he, he's, not, he's not like, oh my. No, hear the echo from Eden, it's very good. Okay? It's very good. Here's Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is true for all human beings, all human bodies. It doesn't matter if it's a little body in the womb or a, an old body in the nursing home. These bodies retain inherent value and worth in the eyes of God. And we see this, of course, in Jesus' ministry, okay? So Jesus, there he is, he's, you know, he's, he's having his ministry there in, in, uh, in Judea. Is he just teaching them because all that matters is the brain? No. What is he doing? He's teaching and he's healing uh, the sick. He's teaching and he's feeding the 5,000 and then feeding the 4,000. He's, he's teaching, and then he is uh, making, did I say the blind to see? I can't remember, you know, not yet, okay. The deaf to hear, you're not listening anyway. <laughs> but you see in the heart of Jesus that he's not just like, I'm all about the immaterial part of who you are. I'm just about your soul. No, he was about that, right? Don't fear the one who can uh, kill you, but fear the one who can kill you and, and then throw you into hell. Okay? So there certainly is that. But it's, it's, it's very much a holistic ministry that Jesus has where he is caring for bodies that are sick and bodies that are hurting and bodies that are dying. He shows compassion for, for them. And by the way, side note, isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus does care about our bodies because there's nothing to get us praying quicker than when we are hurting and when something isn't going right or when you're walking into the Cancer Institute now all of a sudden, when you pray to Jesus, it really matters that you think that he cares about what's going on in your body 
and we see in his ministry, he absolutely does. Absolutely does. Even things like, you know, there's a, there's a, a story in Mark 6 where G, the, the Jesus senses that his disciples are tired. He says, let's, let, let, let's, let's get away here for a little bit and let's get refreshed. So I'm just saying, if this is how Jesus viewed the physical bodies around him and the needs of the body, I would say that so should we, okay? So I'm urging you, when you look in the mirror, all of us do, what do you see? And what do you think about with what you see in the mirror? You may see certain strengths, if you're a man. <laughs> they say men, you know, look in the mirror and see the, and, and women look in the mirror and like, ah, oh, you know, it's, uh, there is some of that going on. But what do you see? Do you see, do you see your strengths, your weaknesses? Do you see maybe certain things that you think are attractive, but then there's the blemishes? Do you see wonders and kind of plainness? And can you look at the body that God bestowed upon you and agree with God that it's good? That it's good. Consider with me all the internal sorrows that go along with disagreeing with God about what he thinks about my body. Sorrows such as anorexia and bulimia, obsession over physical appearance in many categories, billions of dollars spent on fashion and clothing and spanks and all these things. On and on we could go, okay? Now don't get me wrong, we need to wear clothing. <laughs> Let me make that clear. And I'm glad all of you made that choice this morning. We need to wear clothing and there's nothing wrong with presenting ourselves pleasantly and attractively. Hey, that's good too. But can't we all step back and look at the culture that we live in and see the incredible wrong-headed obsessions and focus that have created so much pain? Do you believe what God says about your body? He likes it. He likes it. He's not embarrassed by things that you look in the mirror and you go, that's an inadequacy, I wish that was different. God's not in heaven going, so do I. Okay. Every human body is good. And that includes, by the way, human bodies that we would look at and say that there's something wrong or malformed in that human body. All of them are good, okay? All of them are good. And God highly values and sees as a part of the good work that God's doing in us, the redemptive work, the perfection of our bodies, okay? Someday, your body is going to be enough like your body that people are gonna go, hey, they're gonna recognize you. But there's gonna be things about your body, as C.S. Lewis points out, that we, the normal us would be like, can I worship you? That's the future glorified body. It's coming, okay? It's coming. And we take hope in that, and we look forward to that, 
My body is good. Secondly, my body is cursed. This explains why I feel the way that I do. If my body is so great, why does my knee hurt all the time? If my body is so great, why does my back go out the way that it does? Why am I losing my hair? Why am I losing my sight? Why am I losing my hearing? In fact, getting old, there's a lot of losing it that goes along with it. (laughs) And so a Christian worldview looks at the inherent dignity of the human body, retained all the way until death, but also sees the, the decaying of the human body and explains it as the effect of sin and the effect of God's judgment in us. So that sickness is an effect of the fall and disease is an effect of the fall and cancer is an effect of the fall and aging and wrinkling and slowing down and all these things are effects of the fall. We don't feel or look like we used to, most of us that is. I remember I was talking with my dad, I was like 20, I was in college or something, and we were talking about like getting old and you know what it's like and all that, and I remember my dad saying to me, he said, well Steve, I just gotta tell you, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> and I remember thinking, great, really? Like, I, at 20, I'm, I'm as vibrant and strong and energetic as I'll ever be, it's just all disappointment from here. <laughs> And uh, I'm here to tell you there's a lot of truth in what he said, okay? (laughs) A lot of truth. Now we can fight that, and we can deny it, and we can dress like we're 20 years younger than we are, but the reality is this, that we miss our Genesis 2 bodies while living with our Genesis 3 bodies while looking forward to our Revelation 21 bodies. That's the reality of the Christian. Third, about thinking. I gotta look at my body and realize that it was redeemed, bought by Jesus' death. Therefore, my body is his body. Okay, this is the point that I was making earlier, 1 Corinthians 6. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And again, Paul makes this connection between the immorality of the Corinthian city and these Corinthian Christians to the fact that their body is no longer their body. And that's one of the things I wanna urge upon us is to, my body is not my body, okay? Now it's my body in a sense, but the ultimate ownership of my body is the Lord's. It has been redeemed, it has been bought with the most precious price, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. Now he owns more than just your body and my body, but he most certainly owns our body. I say that there's a popular saying uh, these days, my body, my choice. Have you heard that? My body, my choice. Okay, that's a very unchristian way to look at your body. His body, his choice. That's the Christian perspective. My body is not my own. And therefore, a motivation in the heart of the Christian is I wanna do everything I can to glorify God with my body. 
And that means if I'm a teenager, I wanna be, I wanna be sexually pure because my body is not my body. And that means that if I am uh, you know, tw- a 20-something, live in the party scene, or thinking about that, tempted to that, I gotta think to myself, wait a second, my body is not my body. It's not my body, my choice. It is his body, what would he want me to do? How can I glorify him with this body? So, right thinking. I won't review those, because I gotta move on. And I wanna talk, therefore, when I think rightly about my body, now I'm in a place where I can live rightly with my body. And what does that mean? So I'd like you to imagine with me that uh, you have a rich uncle or something and, and he uh, gives you or, or lets you borrow, let's say, his collector edition Italian sports car, pick the brand you want. I'd go Ferrari myself. Uh, but uh, he, he lets you have it, like for the summer, okay? What would you do with that, how would you treat this incredibly valuable, finely tuned piece of machinery? Well, I would guess that you would, you would probably keep it clean, perhaps polish it every night. You would do regular maintenance on it if that was part of the deal. You would make sure to give it the proper fuel. You might take it in for a tune-up. What wouldn't you do? You wouldn't park it at the gravel lot at the Lake County Fair. (laughs) You wouldn't put diesel gas in it or anything else that might harm it. You wouldn't let your 14-year-old nephew drive it or granny either, by the way. (laughs) Here's the summary. You wouldn't do anything to it that would be bad for it and you would do everything to it that is good for it. Are you with me? Okay. Now, here's the, here's the hook, and you see it coming. In God's eyes, that body that you have is far more valuable than any car. Jesus didn't die for a car. He died to redeem all that we are, including our bodies. The Holy Spirit does not reside within a Ferrari. The Holy Spirit resides within the body of every single Christian. Therefore, we should not do anything to our bodies that are bad for it, and we should do everything uh, to our bodies that are good for it. Are you with me? Some of you are like, I'm with you, but I'm not liking where this is going. (laughs) So what does that mean, practically? Can old Pastor Steve give you some practical advice? I think biblical as well. Here's the first one, are you ready? Wise self-control over our bodily appetites. It's quiet. Did you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is self-control? Self-control. That means that when I am when I am being led by the Holy Spirit, when I am living in the Spirit, I don't have less control over myself. I actually have more control over my, my life and my choices. Here's the description in the New Testament of the pagans. Okay, get this. 2,000 years ago, people that didn't know Jesus, they lived their lives to excess. Did you know that? Here's what it says. Philippians 3. 
He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. Now, what do you suppose that means? I think you know. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And the perspective there is that when, when, when there's nothing transcendent, when, when, when you don't have anything but this world to live for, you, you try to get as much of this world as you can. This world is your God and your appetites, your, your belly is your, is your God. In other words, to be pagan, their bodies are in control of them instead of them in control of their bodies. That's a pagan approach to life. And because of the fall, my body wants more than it needs. All the time. It wants more than it needs. Its goal is consumption. Its desires are insatiable. This is why Willy Wonka was chosen to run the factory because he was the only one who could go through the factory and exercise any amount of self-control. The other children gave themselves over <laughs> to their bodily desires. And uh, Willie got the chocolate factory. We will naturally want to eat more than is good for us, drink more than is good for us, gratify our appetites in many categories that is not good for our, our body. And so this is a question of spiritual maturity. I really think that. Like, have you grown in your Christian life to a point where you can exercise spirit-endowed self-control and to be in control of your body and your body not being in control of you? First Thessalonians 4, that each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And this is where I think there is a, there is a hypocrisy in the church, I say the church generally, not ours, I'm sure this isn't true here, but all those other churches. There is hypocrisy in churches because we will wail against the world around us and they're giving in to their desires and they're, you know, they're, they're all about the world and everyone's amen and we could froth everybody up into a big stir and now we're dismissed to the fellowship hall to gorge on donuts. There's a story of uh, Charles Spurgeon. You're like, can he ever do a sermon without a story of Charles Spurgeon? Occasionally. But there is a story about Charles Spurgeon, great preacher, famous preacher, maybe the best preacher um, in, in, in London. He was good friends with D.L. Moody, okay? Moody Bible Institute, etc., right up the road. And D.L. Moody was a, a famous evangelist, and they were friends, and they were friends enough that they could kind of uh, pester each other and so one day, Spurgeon was chomping on a flaming cigar, and Moody said, how can you, a man of God, smoke that cigar? Spurgeon pointed at Moody's protruding belly and said, the same way that you, a man of God, can be that fat. Now, I recently heard Alistair Begg tell this very same story, and he said all Spurgeon did was point at his belly. Now, I don't know which of those is true, but the point is, is made. And I personally suspect, having known the character of, of both these guys through their ministries, I think that both of them would have curbed their indulgences if they knew what modern medicine tells us about uh, tobacco and food. 
Pastor Steve, are you really gonna talk to us about this the week before Thanksgiving? (laughs) I thought you loved us. I want you to remember that I'm the guy that wrote the book about enjoying God in the pleasures of this life. I am presently writing my second book on that subject. And we have a robust theology of pleasure and enjoying the goodness of God. And, uh, and we need to have a good theology of feasting. I need to prepare you for the Lord's Supper after all. Or not the Lord's Supper, but the, uh, the, the Supper of the Lamb uh, someday. So, okay. So is it wrong to eat a bunch of turkey stuffing, potatoes and gravy, cranberry sauce, and mama's pumpkin pie? I would say to you, no, not necessarily. In fact, real Christians enjoy their food more, not less. So please eat to the glory of God on Thursday, all right? But here's the question. In the overall rhythms and habits of life, Christ can set us free from sinful, destructive habits. And when we think about the body, this means that we are in Christ free to not eat what is unhelpful and unhealthy. And the question is, can I appropriate the lordship of Jesus Christ, his ownership of my body, the presence of the Holy Spirit, as my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, can I exercise that over bodily desires that are destructive for me? Or am I in bondage to what I eat, drink, or smoke? Am I in bondage? Are the habits of my life doing damage to the body that Christ died to redeem? And I'm urging us, why self-control over bodily appetites? So to what end? Well, here's the end, here's the goal, is wellness, okay? Wellness. Not everybody here is gonna run marathons and you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. There's some of you that are crazy people that do that. But um, we should all strive for wellness. And, and uh, Pastor David Murray, who we had in the video at the beginning here, he spoke here a few years ago. He wrote this book entitled Reset, and he writes it out of his own experience. He, he, in his late 40s, came to a point of incredible burnout, and he writes this book out of it. We have a number of copies available in the commons. I would encourage you to pick one up. It's really helpful, very practical, uh, and uh, one of the things that he says in the book, he, he writes this. I, I once asked a Christian psychologist how he treats people with depression or anxiety, He said, oh, that's easy. I give them three pills. Murray says, I inwardly groaned as multiple caricatures of pill-pushing doctors seemed to be sadly confirmed. After pausing for effect, however, the doctor added, good exercise, good sleep, and good diet. Those are the three pills. We have three super weapons at our disposal when it comes to wellness, and they are sleep, diet, and exercise. Let's walk through those quickly. Sleep, okay, sleep. Do you realize that one of the most spiritual things that you can do is get a good night of sleep? Or to take a nap? In fact, I think some of you being very spiritual right now, if I look out, (laughs) 
Sleep is a gift from God to renew us. Nothing wrong with it. And it highlights the fact that he did not make machines when he made us. In fact, right in the, in the, in the creation narrative, we have Sabbath. The fact that God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, okay? But to create a pattern of life for us that says that we're not just what we do and what we make and what we produce, that being human is much more than that. One, one author calls uh, Sabbath a, a weekly snow day. Remember snow day when you were a kid? Awesome, right? Awesome. And that's the sense of a rhythm of life that is healthy. Even God rested on the seventh day. Psalm 127, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Okay, sleep. Diet, secondly, all the studies show this is hugely important in our life, and we live in a culture that is increasingly sugarized and supersized. The fact is that we are what we eat. So I would encourage you to consider this, okay? I'm not meaning to step on anybody's toes here, but for the sake of wellness and stewarding the body that God has bestowed upon you, would you consider stewarding what you put into your body and making that an act of worship to God? Exercise, third. I think we all know how important this is. Don't mean to have a guilt trip on any of you, uh, but some of you should probably take your $20 and buy a treadmill. Uh, it won't buy much of a treadmill, but it would help, okay? But whatever it would be for you, maybe it's a regular walk in the neighborhood or something that you do as an act of worship to God. This is God's body. I gotta take care of this thing. That means I gotta, I've gotta exercise. What a blessing exercise can be. So I'd encourage you to find your way with it. We're all gonna come to different conclusions, but please do something, Right? Our purpose for doing so is not primarily so that I look good or even that I feel good, even those, though those two things come. I do it as an act of worship to God. I do it so I can serve the Lord better, which is the last thing I got to say today, okay? Why habits of bodily grace? Why even worry about this? And the reason for it, beyond what I've already said, is so that I can, with my body, more faithfully serve God in the callings of my life. When I'm sick, when I'm tired, when I'm lethargic, when I, I can't serve God the way that I want to and that I'm called to. I think of one of my heroes, Jim Elliott, who, who died many years ago in the, in the jungles of South America. He's a martyr for the faith. He was serious about missions even in college and he became a champion wrestler at Wheaton College. Why did he do it? So he'd be you know, big man on campus? No, he said this, so that I can have a more fit body for service of Christ. That was his motive for it. I decided a long time ago in my own life that if I'm gonna have the energy to pastor this church and to do the things that God's called me to do and my family and otherwise, I gotta take care of this thing. I gotta take care of it. I read an amazing article last week about Tom Brady. Now I say that name and some of you are like, oh, Tom Brady. Okay, say what you want about Tom Brady, but he's doing amazing things at the age of 44. He's on track to pass for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns this year. 
okay, at age 44. And he's famous for his exercise routine and an incredible self-discipline that he exerts over you know, caring for uh, his body. And there was a story in the article about last spring when he, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and Charles Barkley were on a, a televised golf celebrity thing, nationally televised event. And uh, before the event, it was a, it was a rainy day, um, not a great day, but before the event, Charles Barkley goes walking in the parking lot and here's Tom Brady running sprints in the parking lot of the country club. And Charles Barkley says, like he's incredulous, he goes, what are you doing? And Tom Brady said, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. He disciplined his body with a greater goal in mind. And that's essentially what I'm saying here today, okay? Although the thing that we're doing is way more important than any game, right? What we're doing here is more desirable, which is to bring glory to God in this body and with this body. And this is again, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. And I hope God moves us all in the direction of healthy habits of bodily grace. Amen. Amen.